Welcome on into the Cougar Tracks podcast here on kslsports.com. I'm your BYU insider, Mitch Harper, here in Stillwater, Oklahoma. I was in the press box at Boone Pickens Stadium as BYU falls 40-34 to in double overtime. BYU season in 2023 officially comes to a close. The Cougars end the year on a five-game losing streak. First time that's happened to end a season since 1955. BYU ends 2023 at 5-7 overall, 2-7 in Big 12 conference play. So much to unpack from this BYU loss to Oklahoma State, and we're going to dive into it in this edition of the show. If you'd be so kind, please subscribe, leave a five-star rating and a review of the show. It would help out the podcast a ton. And follow me on X, Instagram, and follow KSL Sports at KSL Sports. Myself, Matt, at Mitch underscore Harper. So the game day atmosphere at Oklahoma State, I don't feel like we got to experience the full intensity or the full pageantry of Oklahoma State football at Boone Pickens Stadium. The, the weather was not pretty at all. It, it it steered away, I bet, a lot of people. And then you factor in the holiday weekend and Stillwater can be kind of a tough place to get to. I, I bet it turned away a lot of folks. And it was announced as a sellout, but clearly anyone watching the game knew it definitely was not. It was half empty, and, and there wasn't much juice around the stadium before you know, the game took place and whatnot because people, I think, were avoiding the cold as much as possible until the bitter end. And so from that standpoint, but the facility was pretty cool, I thought. I thought Boom Pickens Stadium was a great venue for a college football game. The sidelines were smaller than even I was expecting, and I had done my research knowing that and watching so many Oklahoma State games over the years, knowing those sidelines were so tight uh, in Boone Pickens Stadium, and to see it in person was kind of surreal how small those sidelines truly were. And just the overall logistics of the stadium, it it was pretty cool. It was a cool experience to see that in person and, and be in Stillwater to watch BYU go up against the Pokes first time as Big 12 foes. And, You know, it was a good thing to see that BYU had some fight once again. This team was resilient. They did not give up truly on the season ever. You know, Kalani Satake was consistently saying they didn't give up. They weren't quitting on the season. And we saw that once again against Oklahoma State. And I think there's something to be proud about with that factor. But BYU left a lot to be desired in this game. And most notably... They didn't capitalize on an 18-point lead at the halftime break. Yes, BYU was up 24-6 to at halftime. It was remarkable. You're going to the halftime locker room thinking, like, you got a three-possession lead. In college football, that is tough to come back from. It is not easy to overcome a three-possession deficit. It's just not. I mean, Oklahoma State ultimately did, but think about how late it took them to get over the hump and unseat BYU and take over the lead. There was 53 seconds left in the fourth quarter. It is not a simple task to come back from three possessions, and in this case, 18 points. So for BYU, they had to be disastrous in the second half. And offensively, I felt like they were. And the first half... It wasn't flawless, but they were capitalizing and they were seizing the momentum and pouncing on it. 
You know, that first drive of the game, Jake Redslaff fumbles the football. And you're thinking, in that moment, at least I was, does BYU right there need to make a change at quarterback or along the offensive line? Kingsley Suamata'ia was out. Coaching staff said it was due to an injury. I think we've seen his last game as a BYU Cougar, as he was honored last week at senior week. He probably moves on to the NFL, we would all expect, right? Braden Kine was at left tackle. And then the interior of the line was the same with Connor Pay at center, Waylon Lapuaho, and Paul Miley at the guard positions. But that first drive led to an easy three points for Oklahoma State, which I was surprised that Oklahoma State wasn't a little more aggressive on that spot. I thought they were going to maybe chase a touchdown, but they settled for a field goal. Probably the smart move in retrospect, how it all played out in the game. But BYU had a lead. They were up 18. And in the second half, Oklahoma State just went on the attack with the quick hit passes, the quick strikes, and Ollie Gordon was brilliant. Ollie Gordon, man, I, I, I remember this. When he got offered during the COVID year, he was just an unknown recruit, and he pretty much was always an unknown recruit, even when he signed with Oklahoma State. I don't think he got the clout that he deserved. But I remember watching his huddle film and thinking, this guy is legit. It was just kind of one of those dudes that felt like, man, this is a hidden gem that BYU's found. And if they can somehow get this dude, watch out. He's going to be really good. And his recruitment faded away more towards the Big 12 schools, like Oklahoma State. And the Pokes get him, and he has just become one of the best players in college football. I feel like if the Heisman Trophy was not solely about being a team in the playoff, because that's what it's become now. I honestly would think Ollie Gordon deserves to be a finalist for the Heisman Trophy. I don't know if he would win it, but I feel like there's a great argument to be made that he should be a finalist for the Heisman. I really do. I think that guy is spectacular. 34 carries, 166 yards, five touchdowns for Ollie Gordon. He was outstanding. BYU, their ground game was okay. Aiden Robbins had moments of success, and he was key in a, a touchdown drive to get BYU the lead early in the game at 7-6. to six. He finished the day with 16 carries, 74 yards. But BYU in the second half was a one-dimensional team. And they just there was no accuracy at all. Jake Radslaff got the, the fourth career start for him, fourth consecutive week, and he struggled mightily passing the football. The accuracy issues with Jake were a real problem for BYU's offense. Now, the play calling was also, I thought, too conservative. I thought that BYU was playing not to lose rather than going out to win. And I thought that, you know, you're in a game where no one expects you to win. I did not expect them to win. I had BYU losing by three touchdowns. They exceeded my expectations in this game. Go out and continue to put the foot on the gas and continue to attack. And if you've got a quarterback who cannot complete anything through the air and your run game is getting stuffed, because that was one I think the biggest pieces to Jake Retzlaff playing is that he opens up the run game. If that suddenly closed, why not see what Keaton Slovis could do? Keaton Slovis practiced this week for the second consecutive week. After the game, Kalani Satake said that they considered the thought of playing Slovis but they also did not want to hurt his pro potential. And they were thinking about his long-term future because they didn't want to put him in danger, which basically is a code for, to me, how I interpret that is we don't trust the offensive line's going to give him the time. 
and that unlike Retzlaff, he's not a guy that can get out and run and scramble. Yes, he's had a few touchdowns, but that's not his forte is to go go out of the pocket and run. So we're going to continue with Retzlaff because Retzlaff did give us the 24-6 lead. He was part of that. So we're going to keep rolling with that. It was kind of this difficult medium, but I felt like there were spots in that third quarter especially where they should have turned to Slovis, at least for a drive, and see what he could do. I mean, it's his last game in college football. Come to find out, the, the last game for Keenan Slovis, the last snap he'd ever play was against Texas, October 28th. Didn't play another snap the rest of the season. Look, it's not solely on Rents laugh. It's not solely on one person. I thought the coaching was a little bit underwhelming. Aaron Roderick was pretty comfortable in the first half, I thought. I thought his play calling was a good rhythm there. I felt like there was a lot of, you know, a, a nice feel, a, a nice rhyme and reason, but it just kind of went sideways. And again, I thought it got conservative, way too conservative for BYU. And Oklahoma State was on the attack. I think Hans Olsen said it on the radio broadcast, this is a gritty Oklahoma State team. They sure are. Oklahoma State, they are nothing pretty, but they just dig deep and they find ways to win. Mike Gundy, there was a lot of questioning about his culture, how so many guys got ran off, so many guys left on their own, yet he just found players that were going to fit his program and wanted to be a part of it, and now they're going to the Big 12 championship game. But when BYU comes out in the third quarter, three and out, and you're thinking, uh-oh, this is not going to go well. And then the second drive, uh, they had to punt again. And it just it kept snowballing on BYU in that second half. I don't think B, you know Aaron Roderick's going to be – I don't feel like he's going to be fired. Uh, I don't feel like his job security is in, is in jeopardy, per se. I know that's a kind of a hot topic is does Kalani Satake move – Aaron Roderick at OC, I would be kind of surprised if he did. And I don't think that, even though Saturday was a bitter pill to swallow, considering how low of lows some of these games offensively were for BYU, they did make progress. And I, I just, again, I don't, I don't think Roderick's going to be the point of focus for Kalani Satake. That's just my opinion. Daryl Funk, I think that's pretty clear. You wonder how Kalani views Harviunga, running back coach. What does he feel about the wide receivers with Fessy Satake? I know that's his brother, cousin technically, but they're brothers. They they you know very close with one another. How does he view that dynamic? Does he feel like the wide receivers got better? Tied in Steve Clark. The offense was just bad this year. They were. This was a bad BYU football team. They were a bad Big Twelve football team. BYU finishes 11th in the Big 12 this year. In the preseason, my way too early predictions for BYU last January, I had them 12th. That was in January. I gave them a little bit of a bump, got them up to 9th going into the season because I thought the transfer portal additions were enough to give them bowl eligibility. But looking at that roster back all the way back in January, I, I just kind of sensed that there was going to be some struggles. Then the schedule came out, and you thought, okay, there's, there's a real chance to start off with a good record here. And it played itself out. But they just couldn't get that six win because they weren't a good enough football team, period. 
And the defense couldn't get enough stops. Uh, Eddie Heckard, what a performance by him, though. I mean, Eddie Heckard laid it all out on the line. That dude is a dog in every sense of the word. I thought Tyler Batty had a pretty good game as well. Eddie Hackard, though, one of my favorite BYU football players, I think, in the last 30 years. Hackard is such a dog out there in the way he plays, and he's just a big-time performer. That guy just shows up. And it's a shame that BYU couldn't have him for more years. And all of his years pretty much were primarily at Weber State, and it would have been nice to have had him, had him at BYU, but that that, should, that dude's just one heck of a player. I would not bet against Eddie Heckard not finding a way to stick in the NFL. I, I just really believe that guy will perform and rise to the occasion. He had a great game. He had that pick six. Alan Bowman for Oklahoma State, terrible ball. That was the easiest touchdown Eddie Heckard's going to get in his life as a cornerback. <laughs> that was so easy. And, and Heckard had some uh, additional near interceptions as well. But, you know, you get to the near end of the game, okay? Ollie Gordon puts Oklahoma State out in front, 27-24. to Credit to Jake Retzlaff and the offense for putting together a drive. They, they reeled off like 10 plays in 50 seconds. It was insane. And they got Will Farron in a position to kick a field goal. Now, rewind it back. Ollie Gordon gets the touchdown. Then Simi Mawala blocks the PAT to give BYU a chance to even send it to overtime. How about that? That was just insane right there. And then we get back to, you know, Jake Retzlaff and the offense. They move down the field, and Will Farron gets a 48-yard field goal attempt. 48 yards. Think back to March when we're talking about the spring football miscues and how the kicking game is a disaster Pressure cooker, 48-yard field goal, on the line, game, the season, everything's at stake, and that dude just buries it. You would have said, there's no way, I would have said, there's no way that there's going to be a kicker that can hit that on this year's team. Will Farron was an absolute stud for BYU this year. Outstanding. He's a sophomore, and you hope that it doesn't go to his head or anything like that. Like, we've seen in previous kickers, it sometimes can get to their head, and then they regress. I think Will Farron's built a little bit different, and hopefully he continues to evolve and get better because that was a nails kick, and he sends the game to overtime, tied up at 27. And then in OT, Jake Retzlaff gets BYU out in front again. Retzlaff with a six-yard rush to score and put BYU out in front. But then Oklahoma State scores with Ollie Gordon, in the first overtime. I was kind of surprised that they did not go for two and just go win the game there. But they go for uh, the second overtime. They score a touchdown, and Ollie Gordon puts Oklahoma State out in front. BYU then gets another crack because Oklahoma State did not convert the two-point conversion. So BYU gets a chance to tie it up, but then also have a chance to win the game. And, man, tough outing. The tough, toughest ending to a BYU career that I've seen. Isaac Rex fumbles the football on a four-yard completion, gets to the OSU 19. It's fumbled, forced by Trey Rucker. He recovers it into play. It was under review. 
and the rolling on the field was confirmed, and Oklahoma State won the football game. The raw motion from Isaac Rex was was on display on the TV, and it was there in the near BYU's locker room as well. He, he had to be consoled by by his brother, and it was just a tough deal, just raw motion. But I think that it shows just the it was a reminder of the passion that players have for this sport and what it takes and the sacrifice that these guys give to the game. I think it can be easy for, you know, media like myself or fans listening to get bent out of shape over a player that might be struggling or a coach that's having a bad call because you think, oh, I'm such such a diehard, I'm so committed. And you wonder if the players love it as much as, as you or they, they, they're as passionate as you. That was a reminder, seeing the emotion from Isaac Rex and what that meant to him uh, and, and just the the panic that kind of came over him after realizing that that was ruled a fumble. Uh, it was just a reminder that, man, this means a lot to a lot of people, man. And, you know, I've gotten to know Isaac Rex a lot over the years. I remember him as a high school recruit, and, you know, I, I was bullish on him coming out of high school, and he ends his BYU career, if it is, in fact, the official, and he's said multiple times that it was his last. Um, you know, he leaves BYU as the all-time leading touchdown receiver for tight ends in a BYU career. Isaac Rex was a heck of a player for BYU, and, and that's a tough, tough way to end it. And I think that Cougar Nation's behind Isaac Rex completely. And I think that that's uh, the support they've shown to him, I think, on social media has been pretty evident. It's pretty cool because it just means a lot. And, you know, this BYU program, winning at a high level in this football program means a lot. There's a high standard of success for BYU football. And the first impression in the Big 12, that standard got lowered a bit. The effort from BYU the past two weeks was promising against Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. And it gives you a little bit of hope that they can compete on a weekly basis. But they're still not out of the woods when it comes to having a complete beatdown against a team like Iowa State or West Virginia or TCU. BYU, in this conference... They're still trying to find themselves, find out who they are, find out their identity. For years, BYU was the biggest fish fish in the small pond. They operated in that space, and they controlled the oxygen of the leagues they were in. And in Independence, they were not measuring themselves up against Oklahoma State. They were not measuring themselves up against West Virginia. They were just kind of operating in their own path and measuring by the BYU way. It's different now in a league. And seeing the talent, the size, the physicality in the Big 12, I myself underestimated how good this league can be. I don't think people that don't follow this league enough realize, because I think they'll just solely focus on the recruiting metrics. And look, I'm a big believer in the recruiting stars. Don't get me wrong. Like, it's... It's pretty consistent that you get the best recruiting classes, you will win or have a chance to get into the playoff and have cracks at the title. It, it's just, it's pretty spot on. 
This league, though, has a unique ability to attract developmental athletes, coach them up, and then when they get to their soft, redshirt sophomore junior seasons, they are freaks. They are big-time players, like an Ollie Gordon. And that you don't always see it coming out of high school, but because there's so much money and resources into these programs that you can throw a lot of attention, a lot of tutoring, a lot of coaching, a lot of nutrition at these athletes because of the money that's infused into this, these athletic departments in the Big 12, they can become some high-end stars in college football, and they can become some absolute studs. Like, I watched these offensive lines week after week that BYU would face, and I'd be at every BYU game this season and watching the opponents walk in, and I think to myself, these are much bigger teams than I realized. These are teams that make BYU look kind of small, and I thought BYU in some positions was pretty big. No, there is a gap. There is a difference. And Kalani Satake now is tasked with closing that gap. And he's always been tasked with that. I think one of the things, too, that's a little bit discouraging, two years ago, BYU gets six wins against Power 5 teams, six and one. That was in the first fall on the heels of just finding out you're going to go to the Big 12 in 2023. You then had a ramp-up phase of about two years to get ready for this moment. And you only end up with three wins against Power 5 teams this year on a schedule where you had 10 Power 5 teams. So you regressed. Knowing you had the ramp-up phase, knowing you had all this time to build up, and there was regression in that regard. Even though I think the talent overall in this program has gotten better, but it's still not good enough for a week-in, week-out grind in the Big 12. And... You just didn't have superstars like a Jaron Hall and Tyler Algier. Those guys carried a lot of weight for BYU, some lot of dead weight that was maybe, you know, masking some of the deficiencies of the program. BYU's not going to be down forever. They're not. BYU football always bounces back and is a resilient program, but what's different with this season compared to low points of the past. Like in 2017, the last time BYU missed a bowl game, I remember thinking, they're going to have a quick turnaround. You're going to fix the offense coordinator. You're going to get some new pieces in. This will get fixed. You'll get back to bowling the next year. And they did. In 2018, they, they did. It was, a, it was a grind, but they had a young, hotshot freshman quarterback, and they got back to a bowl in the Big 12, I don't know when this gets completely fixed because it goes beyond just simply, I think, personnel. I think it's an attitude on the recruiting trail. I think it's an, an attitude in the commitment to resources and financial commitment. I just think it's so much more than just simply portal additions. It's, it's just a deeper cause and and that's just kind of my feel of it but I feel like there's just so many areas where I think there was a feeling that BYU and the BYU way could still just win at a high level and I just think that this season made you realize that the BYU way is not enough 
And I wonder what changes with Kalani Satake in the way he does recruit. Does BYU continue to do the approach of, we want guys that want to be at BYU? Or are they willing to get into more battles? I think the defensive side is definitely doing that. The offensive side has had some success, but I feel like you should have more success on the recruiting trail considering the amount of NFL players that you've produced on the, on the offensive side of the ball. Look, I, I think there's some recruiting wins that BYU has had that I don't think people are giving enough credit to. And I think there has been a, quote, Big 12 bump in recruiting. But I think the relentless nature of recruiting to a Power 5 program, it's got to level up. It has to. To me, when you're assembling a staff, you want to have assistant coaches that are just animals on the recruiting trail. I'm not bent out of shape about the development side of things. You can hire analysts. You can hire GAs. You can hire quality control. You can hire people to focus on that regard. I want the assistant coaches to be absolutely relentless on the recruiting trail. And I and to where no stone is unturned. No Nate Ritchie type stone is unturned. No story of a local prospect who dreamed of playing at BYU but got soured by the lack of attention he received on the recruiting trail doesn't come to BYU. That can't happen anymore. And I think it's improving. I think BYU in the Big 12 has has seen an uptick in improvement, but I just think it's got to get better. BYU has to consistently be a top 40 recruiter or else they're not going to win on a regular basis in the Big 12. If they're not a top 40 recruiter, they will consistently be a 5-7 to seven win football team in the Big 12. And that is the type of thing that BYU football has never experienced on a long-term basis in its history. Ever. Well, since pre-Lavelle Edwards. You have to go back a long time to find when BYU was mired in mediocrity. And see, the Big 12... In the 16-team Big 12, BYU could just be mediocre. They could. And that's just the reality. And it's not a, it's not a you know, knee-jerk reaction when you're talking about you know, the end of the 23-3 season and BYU goes 5-7. and seven. Like, it, BYU could be a team that doesn't go to a bowl for five years because this league has no... Deadbeats, no punching bag teams. No one is a punching bag in this conference. It'll be nice to have Texas and Oklahoma gone because I don't think you're going to see a program with the infrastructures and the resources and the personnel like those programs. But at the same time, you will still be operating against teams that have for decades been working as a Power 5 program or a BCS or, or Power League team. It's a, it's a big challenge. And I think Kalani Satanke is the right guy to lead the challenge. I do. I don't think any, there's any question in my mind that Kalani Satanke is the right guy for the job. The fact that he still gets great effort from this BYU team when it could have been easy for many of these guys to say, we're done, we're moving on. Like, I think that's a testament to what Kalani Satake is building with the culture. And that played itself out. I, I thought the effort was there the past two weeks. But if you're going to make staff changes, or if you're going to make any sort of changes, it's got to level up. It can no longer be this, hey, we're rerouting staff from 
this intramurals department, and we're going to make them now a football staffer and make it look like BYU's got more staff in football, yet they don't have any experience professionally in the football world. Or they don't have any outside uh, experience to bring to this program. I, you know, I just think it, it's got to stop with stuff like that. Get experienced, proven commodities that don't necessarily have to be in the BYU circle. Because BYU football, to me, should be a place that offers a lot to any coach, to any player. It is an incredible platform at a Power 5 conference with a robust, passionate fan base that shows up to everything. Think about BYU sports this weekend. Women's soccer, sold-out crowd. Men's basketball down in Vegas, they had a bunch of fans. It was loud in, in the Michelob Ultra Arena. They had a bunch of fans to a volleyball match at TCU. And they had a, you know, an okay showing of fans in Oklahoma State. It, it was a tough deal, I think, to, to one, get in because the tickets were purchased. But also, too, just the weather and the holiday and BYU wasn't playing well. I think that steered away a lot of Cougar fans. And I think the, the road budget was probably spent a lot on that Texas game. But I digress. There's a lot of passion in BYU fans. So it's not like you're playing for no one. Like you're playing for fans that care. And I think that BYU's got more NIL than, than led to believe. And I think BYU's got more NIL opportunities. Now, does it have to level up? Sure. It can get better. But I think there's a lot to offer with this BYU football program. And it's got a pedigree of history, of excellence. And there is a lot to offer at BYU football. This is not some program that just has nothing to hang its hat on. Now, they don't know what to hang their hat on yet in the Big 12. That's going to be the challenge in front, of, in front of them to find that out. But this program, to its core and its history, they've got a lot. They've got a lot to showcase and a lot to offer. I'm very fascinated to see how this roster comes to be for 2024. I'm fascinated to see who the coaches are on this staff. I feel like the defensive coaches, you give a pass. I don't feel like you need to make any changes there on the defensive side. I think there was an understanding. Jay Hill, if he's going to step in and take over this defense that was at rock bottom last year, you got to give him some time. And you would have liked it to have been as successful in the back end as it was in the first half, but... I think progress took place for the defense. Offensively, they took massive step back. You know, there was a feeling that they upgraded everywhere on the offensive side. They did not. They definitely did not. Tough times ahead for BYU football. It's going to be an interesting offseason. That is for sure. No bowl game for the first time since 2017. Only the sixth time. Since 1972, that BYU is not going to a bowl game. That's it don't happen often, but it has this year. Their first in the Big 12 Conference. Only one Big 12 newcomer made it to the bowl season. And think about when these four teams got added in 2021. The narrative was, oh, BYU, UCF, Cincinnati, Houston, they're just going to step in and be the best teams in the league. That was before Baylor and Oklahoma State and... Kansas State and TCU had their runs in the Big 12 championship games. A little bit tougher sledding than people thought. <laughs> and again, these issues that are in front of BYU, they're applying to all the newcomers. 
But I think for BYU, it's a little bit tougher pill to swallow because out of all the newcomers, the history of excellence at BYU has been far more consistent. And BYU had moments this year. They still had a season where they beat Arkansas. They still had a season where you beat Texas Tech, who's going to a bowl game. But it just wasn't consistent enough. There was far too many mistakes. There was a lot of injuries. Better than most years on the injury front, but still just not enough went their way as they continue to adjust to life in the Big 12 Conference. But that's going to do it for this edition of the Cougar Tracks podcast. I will continue to have podcasts throughout the offseason on BYU football, opinions, more kind of long-form podcasts like this. It's going to be happening all throughout the offseason. And, of course, BYU basketball season is in full swing as the Cougars are off to a 6-0 start in men's basketball. Also, women's basketball is undefeated. So we will have a lot of content throughout the winter and the spring. So stay with us here at Cougar Tracks. Subscribe, leave that five-star rating, and I'll talk to you next time here on the Cougar Tracks podcast, and it's powered by KSL Sports.